0: Well, good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. You look wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. I actually don't actually know what that means, but anyway, glad you're here this morning. Whoop, we got a, got a little issue going. There we go. We got it back. We had a little issue during the second hour, and all of a sudden, my voice started going all over the place and finished up the message with the microphone off, so hopefully today... We're gonna make it all the way through this third service. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter three. We're gonna headquarter in verse 20, 21, but it really is a continuation of the last time I was with you a couple of weeks ago when uh, Paul in Philippians chapter three, verse one said, this then brothers, and I assume sisters, is how you stand firm in the Lord. And Paul talked about the fact that we stand firm when we give a little grace to others and ourselves. He's lighting up just a little bit. Keep your head up because we're a citizen of heaven. And then he talks about the sure hope of a Savior who is coming for us. And we're going to continue that that concept today. Uh, When you are uh, on a trip of any length at all, and especially if you have children in the backseat, you will invariably hear sometime along the journey, Dad, are we there yet, right? I mean, whether it's a seven-hour trip, a 20-hour trip. If you're going to Florida, you just kind of go in the middle of the night. Hopefully, everybody will sleep except the driver. Um, if you are going down to Indiana today, we're going to uh, have a little family get-together this evening. And we're driving down there. Somewhere around Lansing, you're going to hear, <laughs> uh, are we there yet? And that's usually my wife. But anyway, uh, but it's this whole idea, man, where you have this anxiousness on the destination. And Paul, as he teaches the, the Church of Philippi, by virtue, us and the New Testament church, he's trying to help us to understand how to stay firm in our journey. Along the journey of faith, sometimes we get discouraged, sometimes we get frustrated, sometimes you want to give up, sometimes you're going through some hardship, and he is trying to encourage believers to keep on, run through the finish line, and finish strong. If you have your Bibles, turn them to... Um, to chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, who I love and whom I long for, my joy and my crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Over the last three years, uh, probably since COVID especially, I have had a lot of folks that have asked me the question, Pastor, do you think we're in the end times? During COVID especially, do you think these are the end times? And uh, the answer that I gave them is the same answer I give my kids in the back seat when they would say, are we there yet? I would generally say something like this. Well... We're closer now than when we were the last time you asked. And the same thing is true when we talk about the end times, when we talk about the Lord, when we talk about heaven. We are closer today than at any time in the last 2100 years. And there are so many aspects of what is happening today that kind of rings the bell that we are definitely seeing the days of heaven not far away. Now Paul, as he is trying to encourage the believer Gives three promises of heaven that should encourage us and I want to share those promises with you this morning the first promise of heaven is simply this we have a sure Savior notice he says in this passage he says and we eagerly await a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ Paul says you keep firm because you know you got a sure Savior now when we talk about Jesus being our Savior We have to talk about different aspects of it. For example, we look at the past and when Jesus died for our sins and when we came into a relationship with Christ, Paul Paul says um, that you you declare right with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Or maybe like John said in in the book of John, he said, to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives them the right to be called children of God. Or maybe it's like Jesus says in this way when he says, you must be born again. There is a point in our life where we accept what Christ has done for us. We ask for his forgiveness. And it's interesting, when when we accept Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven. He saved us in the past. But he's still working in your life today. He's changing you he's changing your character he's developing you and so he's currently saving us but scripture also indicates there is a future day when Christ is returning or should we pass away we are going to him that is our coming salvation so we understand that there is a Savior from heaven that is coming for us but what I thought about maybe to talk about during this time is what is Christ going to be like when we get to heaven When we think of Jesus, we think of the suffering shepherd, the the meek Savior, the one who healed individuals, the one who died on the cross. Jesus said he came as a ransom sacrifice for many. But when he comes again, he's going to be very, very different. He's going to rule, and he's going to reign. Revelation chapter 19, one of the images of Christ in his return looks like this. It says, Out of his mouth, Jesus comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations he will rule them with an iron scepter he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of god almighty and on his robe and on his thigh this name is written king of kings and lord of lords there was a an image a graphic that was done a number of years ago i wish i knew who the illustrator was but in my mind, it's very vivid, and it's a picture of what Jesus and his coming is going to be like. It's just an artist's rendition, and he's got long, white, flowing hair. Uh, scripture says that his hair was white as wool, very similar to mine, just a little longer. Uh, <laughs> white, flowing hair, and he was on a stallion. He had a sword, and uh, it was coming from his mouth, it says in this. Now, again, is that literal? I don't know. I don't know how exactly this is. It's his voice and command. But it's interesting that on, his, on, his, um, on, the, on the picture in this artist's rendition, he had like a, a robe on, and you could just see his muscular bronze thigh, and there written on his thigh was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul says in Philippians that while Jesus died in a humble way on the cross, God brought everything under his authority that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, whether it be in heaven or under heaven or under earth. In other words, every, all of creation is one day going to kneel and acknowledge him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And you're either gonna do that willingly by yielding your life to him, or there'll be a day where you will be forced to kneel, and that's painful, but every kneel, uh, everyone is going to acknowledge his lordship. That's the king that is coming. That's the king of heaven. But we also know that in heaven, for those who are in heaven, he's actually going to continue to shepherd and comfort. Shouldn't surprise us he was that way in his first coming, certainly that way in heaven. It's his character. But it's really interesting Because in Revelation chapter 7, you're going to notice in your notes, I gave you a lot of notes. It's because I had a lot of stuff I wanted to share today and I thought, you know what? If they want to study this and go check it out, people can go do that if you really want to go deep into this stuff about two or three years ago i did a wednesday night teaching called the end times and it's available on our website you just go to our archives and there's a four part there's about four hours of teaching on there with notes and everything and you are welcome to go at it and have fun and and read that stuff and watch that stuff but look at the image that comes out of revelation chapter 7 it says in verse 9 it says and after this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes And they were holding palm branches in their hands. Later on in that passage, it says, And they were before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. In other words, he will bring them in. They will be part of his clan. And then it says this, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, or the scorching heat for the lamb is at the center of the throne and will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He's shepherding, he's comforting. In this particular passage, those that are dressed in white are those whose sins have been wiped clean by the blood of the lamb. They happen to be, this this group, are the martyrs for Christ. And they are coming before the throne of God. And it says that he will comfort them. Now, why would he do that? A lot of people, when we talk about there not being any tears in heaven, um, I agree with that. But I'm going to put a little caveat. Now, now I'm giving you my thoughts on this. I think they're backed up by Scripture. I think they're pretty. But but when people say there are no tears in heaven, I actually think there are going to be some tears in heaven. Because you'll notice it says, and he wiped away every tear from their eyes. Later on, he says the same thing. I think there's going to be a part in heaven because we retain our emotions. We retain our personhood. Scripture indicates when we go to heaven, it's like we don't become part of some big cosmos. We don't become, heaven is a real place, and we continue to have what makes us who we are. So we retain that. I believe with all my heart that there are, there are memories that continue with us in heaven. I, I happen to believe my mom and my dad they remember me, and I think they know each other in heaven. Scripture indicates that we only see through a glass right now, but but in then we're gonna we're gonna see each other face to face, and we will know even as we are known fully. So Scripture indicates that there is this knowingness of who people are in heaven. So why would there be tears? Well, I, I don't know exactly, but I. I think there may be an understanding of maybe where we failed and I think there may be even an understanding of those who aren't with us in heaven but there's going to be a point it's almost like this incredible move of God where the shepherd shepherds us and in the light of his glory and in the light of his salvation and in the light of eternity all of that fades away and never again will we grieve or mourn or have tears. Now again, I could be wrong. I'm just one little finite pea brain and God is the infinite God and could do whatever he wants and, and I haven't been to heaven yet so I can't tell you exactly but, but that's the idea I get as I look at all the scripture. Isn't that an incredible picture? He's the ruler and the reigner but he's the comforter and the shepherd. Uh, when Wesley was uh, a little guy um, he was up in his room, or he was up in the kids' room. I don't know exactly, yeah, I know, I remember he was on the bed. He was probably four or five years old, he was jumping around, they were playing, having a good time, laughing, and, and uh, it, I think it was a Sunday afternoon, and often on Sunday afternoons, at that time anyway, I would have either sweats on or shorts, and then I would, I have a robe that's very comfortable, and so I, I wouldn't necessarily have a shirt on, but I have my robe on, and I was up there, kind of lounging a little bit, and I heard him playing around, and I came up, and then kind of a false tone i came in there and said very gruffly what's going on in here i'm not gonna let this happen in here and i went and jumped on the bed and i told wesley i said what are you having fun for and i began to tussle with him a little bit and stuff and he was laughing and giggling he didn't take me serious at all and he fell down and he laid on my chest and he goes oh my big hairy scary daddy He thought I was the most powerful person in the world. I wish I was, but I'm not. But he knew as, his, as, as, as I, me as his daddy, he didn't have anything to fear. And I, I, sometimes when I look at that, when I see God's holiness, when I see his incredible power, when I see Jesus reigning and ruling, when I see the sword coming out and the, and the white hair, and the, we don't have anything to fear because he is our dad. He is our, our heavenly father and we're going to worship him number 3 we're going to worship our savior these these songs we've been singing this morning in all of our services The revelation song, the hymn of heaven, majesty in the first hour, whatever the song is, we've been singing these worship songs and that's the image that we get of what's gonna be happening in heaven. It says, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and to the angels. They were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God and they were saying amen and praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. There is this massive worshiping of the Lamb that is going to take place. And if you don't like worship, you're going to hate heaven because there is going to be this incredible worship that takes place and you have God and you have the Lamb on the throne and there is going to be this incredible worship service that takes place. I like how John MacArthur says it. He says heaven is more than just a place, right? He says, simply put, we are going to be with a person as much as we are going to live in a place. The presence of Christ is what makes heaven, heaven, and we are going to be with him. He is our Savior who is our sure Savior. Number two, our sure Savior has complete sovereignty, it means that he is in control. It means that nothing is outside his purview. The word sovereignty, people think it's this deep theological term. It's just an English word that means supreme being, Lord, and Master. We apply it that he is completely in control. Nothing happens without his knowledge. Now, for some, that gets you, gets you very upset. Because you think about this, well, if he's in control, then why is all this stuff happening? But it's, it's fascinating to me that nothing is happening today in our world or, frankly, in our lives that God is not aware of. I'll be honest, I don't always know why it's happening, but I trust his character, right? We keep, we keep teaching about his love, his, his kindness, his justice, and so because I trust his character, then I will trust him in this world when I don't understand where everything's going on. And things are happening today that God said a long time ago were gonna happen. Now, I don't wanna get into this too much. I know for some folks, when we start talking about the days as we approach the end, they get, they get a little, uh, little nervous about it. People with small children start to pinch them and start crying so they can leave and go out in the hallway. And if you don't have a small child, you pinch your husband and then he cries and you got to go out there. But I want to just give you a glimpse of what Jesus talks about is going to happen as we approach the, the end of days as we know it. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus, in the final week of his life, gives a lot of teaching about heaven and about the future and about what to expect as we approach his coming. And in Matthew chapter 24, it's called the Mount of Olive Discourse. If you want to turn there, we're just going to read a few verses. This is what Jesus says in verse 3. It says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, that's a pretty clear question. What's it going to be like as we approach the end of this age as we know it? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. That word is actually uh, ethnos, ethnicity against ethnicity. That's literally the word that is used there. And kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are the beginning of the birth pains. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and they will betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Almost to a point, that he says that because of a prevailing sense of wickedness or decline, people will be past uh, pathos, passion, emotion. They just won't care about anybody. Now, there's a lot that's in those passages. I wrote them down in your, your notes. You're welcome to take a look at them. Notice how he says there's a prevailing culture of false, kind of a deceiving spirit. Yes, he says there'll be some who come and they they say that they're Jesus, but this idea that as we approach those days, Jesus 2,000 plus years ago said, there's gonna be this, this prevailing sense of false in the culture. And boy, do we see that happen right is wrong wrong is right up is down down is up we we see individuals that are pressed as a culture to declare that something that is clearly not true is true and two plus two is seven and if you don't believe that and don't declare that you're canceled and I know people get nervous. And, oh, pastor, they're going to cancel you. Uh, my, you know what? My sins were canceled at the cross 30-some years ago. And uh, that's just the way that it is. No emotion attached to it. No anger attached to it. No no hatred attached to it. I'm fascinated. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. I literally had a guy in the hallway come up to me. I know him very well. He said, I was just signing up for a... Uh, like a workshop-type thing, and they asked me, what age do you identify as? <laughs> he said, I didn't realize I could knock 10 years off my life, and so he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be 10 years younger than I am. I said, not me. I'm adding 14 years, so I can start getting full Social Security now. <laughs> what? What age do you identify as? Um, dog years. I'm I'm eight. <laughs> You'll notice he says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Notice how there's the increase of famine. There's economic chaos. You know what's interesting uh, in your notes, Sarah? I just I, I brought out some of these scriptures. But it's interesting that he says this. He says a quart of wheat. Revelation six six a quart of wheat for a day's wages. In other words, a day's wages will be required to pay for a quart of wheat. Why would he say that? Because a quart of wheat is what is considered essential just to sustain life. Just to live and have enough to live for the day will take a full day's wages. You think inflation's bad now. Uh, pollution, ecological disaster, loss of life, all of that is talked about in Scripture. And you're, you're looking at it and you're going, this is terrifying, Pastor. No, because for the believer in Jesus Christ, this is never supposed to terrify you. Paul says that knowing this information and knowing the Savior is coming, and I'm gonna give you the rest of the story, we have a Savior who's gonna rapture the church and is going to rescue us. All of this is under his control. Scripture says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that the secret, law, or the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds him back will do so until that day when he will let the hands off. That's the Holy Spirit holding back What could be happening in our world today. He's powerful. He's in control. He's sovereign. And Paul says, because you have a sure Savior and because he is fully in control, trust him. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to get you home safely. Number three, I love this last one. You have a secure hope. You and I both have a secure hope. Notice what the promise is. It says, who by the power that he is able to bring everything under his sovereignty will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Now, listen, you can look elsewhere for understanding of what happens life after death. But looking at Scripture, heaven is not an idea, and heaven is not a consciousness, and it's not a force. It is a real place, very clearly defined. But also, we will have a very real personhood in heaven. We don't become part of the collective. Again, I'm not going to look elsewhere for the answers to this. Jesus is really clear on this. Paul gets really clear on this. He says, you're going to be different but you're still going to maintain your personhood. Our emotions are, it's all going to be cleansed, but we're still going to have this stuff. But I want to show you how we're going to be different in heaven, okay? That first of all, we're going to have different bodies. <laughs> By the way, some of you, maybe that doesn't sound like great news, but for me, praise God. <laughs> I'm going to be six foot two and a hundred and seven, no, I won't be like that. But notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he says it in a number of places. Here's what he says. Verse 42 to 45 says, So it will be with our res- the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown perishable will be raised imperishable, which can- means can't fade away, it is sown in dishonor in other words we we die in dishonor but we are raised in glory it is sown in weakness right because when we pass away it's weakness but it is raised in power it is sown in a natural body it is raised a spiritual body if there's a natural body he says there is a spiritual body Paul is takes two known words that have never been combined and he combines them together to express what the resurrection body is going to be like. He calls us a spiritual body. It is a pneuma the word pneuma in the Greek just means spirit. It's the same word that is used for Holy Spirit. You have a spirit somata. Somata is the word for a fleshly body. Okay, This right here. He says you're going to have a spiritual body. And it's going to be like his, Jesus Christ, glorious body. So what was Jesus like when he was raised from the dead? Well, you knew it was Jesus. You could feel him. You could talk to him. You could touch touch him. He, He ate. Oh, praise God. He ate food in the resurrection body. Which tells me there's going to be a Tim Hortons in heaven. Chocolate chocolate donuts all around. No brand muffins in heaven. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, why in the world would you need to uh, um, uh, eat? Because you're not going to perish, right? For the pure joy of it. I knew eating was fun. Now you're saying, well, Pastor, you're being foolish. Okay, I have a... A finite brain. And He is the infinite God. And heaven is infinitely greater than anything I can imagine. And He uses banquets and He uses these terms to help this little pea brain comprehend just a portion of how glorious the hope is for us. So if I'm wrong, it's only going to be better than what I can understand. We're going to be different. Where bodies are going to be different, our sinful memories and emotions will be filtered. I don't know how. Because Scripture seems to indicate, Jesus himself said it when he told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he told the story about the rich man being not in heaven that he was aware of his past, he was aware of his brothers. In fact, he wanted somebody to go and preach to him because he didn't want them to join where he was at. Now, Jesus was trying to communicate something through that. I I think it's pretty clear that there's a a sense of consciousness in heaven. And yet, Scripture also indicates in the book of Revelation that nothing immoral, impure will enter into heaven. There's going to be There's going to be this transformation that takes place so that none of our sinfulness or sinful memories or even our sinful emotions will will be there. I almost imagine walking through a a, a looking glass and as we step into eternity, again, either at our going and our passing or his coming, that there will be this transformational filter that filters all of that impurity away. And you and I can't comprehend that because we have always been bound in some degree by our own sin nature. We, we don't know what it's like to be without that. But that's the promise that awaits for us. And then the one I, I just love this. The pain and the regret from our lives is Gone. Whether it be the regret and the pain from our own decisions or the pain and the regret by the decisions of others that have impacted us, scripture indicates for the Lamb of God is at the center of the throne and he will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God himself will wipe away all the tears from their eyes and 21, Revelation 21 says it again, there'll be no more death no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And we can tell you what Scripture says, but the deepness of that concept, well, Paul says this, no eye has seen No ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. The best is yet to come. This last week I spent um, I spent the week at a Canadian resort. Uh, All due respect, Leona, to Canadians. I don't think resort means the same thing to you as it does to me. The only bathrooms were outhouses. Not what I was thinking, but I was very familiar with this camp. Whiskey Lake Lodge. Don't know why they call it Whiskey Lake, but I've been a little woozy all week. I'm not sure why. Tony thought that was funny. You're the only guy. 460 miles to Massey, Ontario, being north of the Georgian Bay. Turn at the light and go an hour down dirt roads, winding across three little bridges to your dead end into this little, uh, little, what, four or five cabins on the lake last sunday morning um i was asked if i would do like a, a short five minute thing at lunch for everybody and they had some neighbors coming in and so i was out on my quad and went on a ride i don't have any cell service and uh, so i was out on a quad going on a nice long uh ride and i i uh, i was probably about i don't know 15 miles out or so and uh, i pulled over to the side of the road on the dirt road. Babbling brooks and a little waterfall. What an incredible spot! I just, I just sat there and, man, God, you're so incredible. I was reading scripture and putting some thoughts together. And the guy stopped on the road. Uh, he was coming back from town. Uh, his name's Dave, and we started chatting. And he said, you know, he said, this is a long ways back here. He said, eight or ten years ago, he said, there was a guy who had driven all the way up here from either southern Michigan or Indiana. I'm not sure where he came from. But he drove all the way up here to come to our, our we were fishing and, and bear hunting, coming to our camp. And um, he got to the first bear camp and uh, pulled in and thought he was at, at the lodge, and he found out it wasn't the right place. And he was so discouraged because he'd been on that road for so long. I mean, it's way back, it's an hour back. And about 12, 11 miles before you get to the cabin we were at, there's another lodge. And he was so discouraged that he turned around and he didn't come. I said, "You kidding?" He was only 18 kilometers from the—I mean, 11.2 miles. He was—he was right there. He goes, "Hey, no." He was so discouraged by how long it was taking that he turned around and he never—he never came. He was this close. And he left. And I know some of you are uh, discouraged and some of you are grieving and I know some of you are maybe dealing with depression and you're, you're, you're disappointed or you've been hurt by someone. In the view of eternity, we are this close and we are so much closer today than what we've ever been. We have a Savior who is going to rescue us, and He really can be trusted because He's in control. And He has an incredible hope. Don't give up. Don't give in to discouragement. Stand firm. John says that in light of his love and his glorious coming and knowing that we are going to see him face to face, he says, everyone who has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. In other words, it it, it transforms our lives. So stand firm. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for your word. And, Oh, we had time to look at glimpses of glory, but Lord, the, f- the 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 picture of what is to come is so much greater. Pray you'd encourage the discouraged and give strength to those who feel weakened. And for the one who's here, that when I talked about the things of yet to come, it terrified them. They didn't even want to listen. But it's only because they really weren't sure if they were a citizen of heaven. Your word says that if we will believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, and if we will ask you to forgive our sins and invite you to be the Lord of our lives, we don't earn our citizenship, we don't merit our citizenship. By grace, we receive our citizenship when we are your children. So Father, my prayer is that even today, before we leave, Lord, forgive me. I believe you're real. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I believe there's gonna be a day where I'm gonna, either by your coming or my going, I'm gonna meet you. But Lord, would you please make me your child? And begin that journey of faith today. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Stand with me, would you? We have prayer partners. Love to pray with you about anything that's on your heart this morning. Turn to someone and say, stand firm. Don't give up. God bless as you go.